hello, Heron. Hi, Tom. So, how are you feeling? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm not ailing in any particular way. So, I, I so you're not congested anymore. You were congested, <laughs> I think, when we spoke a week ago. Uh, I've been. Yeah, my whole physical system was in somewhat of an uproar for about a week or something. Uh-huh. And, yeah, you, I, and I'm still not back to 100% yet. But And but, you mentioned it was diet-related, that you changed your well, diet. Well, I, I don't and, know. Okay. I, that's it. That was just a guess. You know, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. What's, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting to go through a bunch of physical stuff this whole past year and next year. I mean, when you do, you know, Cha- make changes like that sometimes you know the inertia <laughs> of things can can screw things up temporarily until it gets recentered again so mm. um i don't really know but uh, i'm i'm sort of expecting to have physical symptoms over the next year or so and if you don't mind me asking mm-hmm. is it because i mean the experiences i've found where diet change creates physical changes has been things like i mean i went through a period where i was a vegan for example yeah and then I was in on campus and I had worked a, a day plus attended lectures and I got back to my room on campus and the only meal that was available because my vegetarian meal had been eaten and I went to multiple floors to try to find another meal. But the only meal that was available was some, what do you even call it? What's the beef with pasta thing? That, oh, um, um, oh, anyway, that was all that was available. Yeah. I thought, well, I'm really hungry. I have to eat. This is the only food available. How bad will it be? <laughs> and you found out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was interesting because it was only over a period. I mean, I must have been a vegan for mo- three months at most. Yeah. And it had a really decidedly bad effect on me. Yeah. I think, um, well, I think, again, everybody's body chemistry mm. is different. So I, I, I'm not sure how much we can, we can, certainly we can learn from each other. Certainly. But it's like my experience with drugs, being immune to mm-hmm. LSD. I mean, that's really that fact has sort of colored my whole life in, mm. in regard to food and chemistry mm-hmm. and sensation and all that stuff. Is uh, I, I really can't judge by what I hear from other people. The only thing I really have is my own experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to other people, so, and, and and you can learn, but yeah. but in matters like this, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking there's a whole lot of. Um, chemistry involved probably yes so in terms of your dietary change do you do you want to editorialize it or or do you feel you've said enough oh i don't i don't know i don't even know what i've said i haven't really commented on it much have i i don't know no no (laughs) that's my point (laughs) oh well uh i'm still experimenting i'm eating most well you know yeah it's it's yeah, there's no point in really sharing it. It's just okay. me experimenting, you know. That's Fair all. Enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, let's just say I'm I I I don't eat too many um what uh ding-dongs. Very good. <laughs> you know, in fact, I can't even remember the last time I had a ding-dong. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fruit, a lot of, you know, so yeah, you know, and, and but I'm still eating meat and uh, mm-hmm. or seafood anyway, so mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we my wife somehow picked up some ribs. Like, these were uncooked ribs with the plan to cook them last Saturday. And we had two packets of these ribs. The first one was green. (laughs) And I said to her, we we are not having anything to do with this. Let's throw it away. Did she not know? I mean, she bought them and they were green? She bought them and they were supposed to be good for another week. And they turned St. Patrick's Day of three years ago. Yes. (laughs) So she opened it and sniffed it 
which at the point I've never, I've literally thought that I would be calling an ambulance based on that response. She turned yeah, violently yeah. purple and choked for about <laughs> a minute and a half. And I thought, well, she may have learned a lesson. Yes. <laughs> well, one of us didn't, however, because the other pack of ribs was still there. And I thought, okay, this one isn't green. I opened it and I started sniffing. I smelled something sweet. And then I thought, you idiot. You are just going to have exactly the same response. And we couldn't eat anything up until even the next day we were queasy. Like, just even smelling it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It made me realize I could never go to war. Because my senses, particularly, you know, in the tropics or even through the summer, this kind of smell would have just permeated any possible battlefield that, you know, was trodden over. And I just thought to myself, this is... Yeah, it was just, the, even talking about it now, my chest gets tight. I mean, it had a yeah. really strong physiological effect on me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's, yeah, that's funny. I think people are really different. You know, it, it, people's experience yes. uh, is, is, my sense of smell, I mean, it seems adequate to me, but I think probably is not very good. Yeah. You know, uh, although, well, I'm, you know, I smell awful things too. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I don't know. I think I'm probably not very sensitive in that area. Mm. You know, but maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> you know. So based on overwhelmingly positive feedback that I've received through the week, I am not going to record Stone Ape with notes going forward. <laughs> it was okay. sufficiently Why positive. make a rule about that? Well, because not judge, I think, why not? You can always have them. You don't have to use well, them. Well, this is the thing. I think even having them means that I'm going to use them in some sense. And I like the well, idea... Well, you already that, have them anyway, even if you haven't written them Well, yet. yes, it's true. But the, <laughs> the view where I'm not fussed or looking at something yeah. is very different. And I think in terms yeah, of yeah, know, my mind and the listening to this thing, it works out very well. So as as is the usual habit, do you have any topics you'd like to discuss? Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the two old ladies mm. from the last night. I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I think, you know, Tom, you're in a position to actually produce this documentary on these people. Yes. You know, and somebody should do it. It's yeah. just, I mean, I'm, of course, they may not be as good as my imagination right now. I think they'd be better, actually. Well, if they are, uh, this could be such an awesome. So I recorded audio with them, and I can actually point you to the audio that I recorded with them. Okay. Although yeah. it's a small audio segment, and... Yeah. Well, it's not for me anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, what, what, I, what I'm thinking is... Well, it just struck me as it could be a really wonderful short film. Certainly. You know, and especially if, if you don't go into it knowing anything, you know, I mean, that actually that the fact that they're transsexuals doesn't even get revealed maybe until the very end and maybe only subtly. Well, I think <laughs> with, with one of them, it's pretty obvious. Ah, okay. And I think that's the thing that in general, yeah, it, it's interesting because the, Hormone therapy that transgender folk take works a lot better if they start when they're young. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Particularly, it's interesting, actually, because there's this whole kind of human rights issue associated with young transgender people getting the hormones given to them early. I mean, it, yeah. typically, it should be prepubescent to maximize the transitional yeah, effect. Yeah, sure, yeah. Which is a very... St- I mean, I'm pretty... I'm well, that's sort of self-contradictory prepubescent. Well, that's the... <laughs> well, maybe not. That, that's no, the that's issue. exactly... Yeah. That's yeah, the that's, crux yeah, of the problem. Yeah, that, yeah, right. What is gender identity? Yeah, yeah I'm like, can yeah. you have a solid gender identity when you're prepubescent When you don't have any sexuality. Exactly. Yeah, well, maybe you can. Apparently so. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Has there been any research done in There's that area? Been, well, <laughs> research here is very interesting because research... I mean, transgender research has existed for at least a century. Yeah. And certainly through the 60s and 70s, um, and here we're talking about Foucault, to a lesser extent Sartre, in terms of the philosophy and, like, deep, you know, discussion. But also, obviously, I'm not familiar with the psychology discussion. I'm familiar with the philosophy discussion. But, yeah, it's a fascinating area. And I yeah. think um, I think there's probably an opportunity... You see, my interest is actually the humanism component. My interest is that um, when you when you are around transgender folk, you realise actually that they have a degree of analysis, self-analysis, but also environmental analysis that most humans don't have. And it is very curious because you realise that all the nonsense associated with gender definition they have on some level, or some of the nonsense associated with gender definition, they have had to approach in a very um, yeah. analytical fashion, which traditionally you... I mean, Well, they've is, had to think about it, exactly. period. Yeah, yeah. And when you look at gender identity, and particularly how gender identity is sold to the masses, the oh, cheerleader yeah. football player, you know, in this country <laughs> in particular... Well, yeah, everything about our yeah. culture is just totally fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the real... The issue I want to approach approach and i need to i i have a, a friend through model rail radio who is, was a, a sex counselor in san francisco and she's very active in this community i think i'm pretty sure so i'm planning on actually having a conversation with her yeah about this because i think it's really fascinating yeah it'd be interesting and it's also something where my interest is as because i already there the initial dichotomy I have associated with documentaries um, is associated with the role, the narrative role that is played through the documentaries. Jeremy Scahill's Dirty Wars, his narrative just completely blows out the whole thing. And it changes the documentary format to be completely about this person. The best way to... And Werner Herzog is less so, but still a good example where his narration is so much part of the documentary. Yeah. I think... Because of the sensitivity and because I want to capture some of the sensitivity, my role in this thing is very interesting. And I'm very mindful that that really defines the framing. I'm pretty You'd be a producer. That's, I'm pretty confident yeah. that these people will talk to me quite candidly. I've been very polite. Well, I'm very polite and accommodating, actually, to anyone who yeah. appears on Model Rail Radio. Yeah. But with these people in particular, I've gone out of my way. And actually, we have one of their mutual friends who's an ongoing listener to Stone Ape. So, I mean, his feedback here would be interesting as well. So you think there's there's a distinct possibility that they'd be up for this? Oh, I think they'd be... No, I, my view is actually that they would be... Well, at least one of them would be very up for this. The older one actually has a brain tumour. Mm -hmm. um, and she probably would be the... She was interesting, actually, because she initially didn't want to appear on Model Rail Radio, and then when she got involved with it, she became really quite enthralled by the whole process, particularly the international element that she could talk to people in, yeah. you know, San Francisco and England and all over the place. All yeah. Over, yeah, anyway. And it was interesting, actually, because I try to make it as much of a welcoming format as possible for these folk. And Model Railroad is not transgender folk. <laughs> um <laughs> But you, know, what, you I, got something against the transgendered folk? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I'm just making that distinction perfectly clear. Yeah, I, I think it captivated me sufficiently, and it, I really found it very warming and humanistic. 
Uh, and well, the way you explained it last time, I, I thought that this just seemed like nice old ladies. You exactly. know, I'd really, really, they sound like they'd be a nice subject for a film and yeah. sit in their living room and with their cozies. And yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. in this case, actually, it's interesting because the life in which they live is, it's considered, it's actually an interesting interpretation. It's a male interpretation of the way old ladies live but at the same point they're still distinctly it's still a male interpretation yeah and is it they're quite do you think they would agree with that they're quite messy and <laughs> they basically have a series of things which is just like piles of junk their place is very interesting because it's, uh, it looks okay. like an ex-government right. house it's not yeah. as you would imagine it's it's an interesting interpretation because, in particular, their friends make the commentary with one of them in particular. Why doesn't she just wear makeup? Why doesn't she put in more of an effort to be a woman? <laughs> you know, which is very curious. Well, that's yeah. an interesting. Well, th that's all the stuff that would be really fun to talk about. The transgender community in Australia is is different as well to the transgender community in the U.S. It's um, I mean, if you you remember the film Snowtown. There was yeah. a transgender character in yeah. that who is basically seemed to fit right in. Well, it's a, <laughs> that is basically in. Well, no, was respect. he transgender or just transdresser? Uh, I think he was actually trans. He may have been. Tra well, anyway. Yeah, anyway. Th that yeah. whole style is very much the Australian transgender. I mean, it's just normality, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, which is really yeah. So well, again, that's just all. This strikes me as just typical, you know, language monkey shit. <laughs> On some level but i think you need to as as i've tried to acknowledge the appreciation that these folk are have have tackled oh yeah a lot of the crap that most people just never even delve into right yeah. take it as defined is really very fascinating yeah i agree i, I think like i say i think it could be a, a mm. real fascinating film mm. i don't know how long you know 20 minutes or um, maybe longer maybe if, yeah i, I would say i would it say depends on them you know yeah. it depends on them yeah you know? out and where it goes i mean yeah. once you get started you may find yourself in places you hadn't even imagined you know yeah yeah the other thing is because they're in australia and they're actually in a particular part of australia which is interesting because my my mother has a block of land very close to where they are and we talk periodically about doing something with the block of land. And I actually really like it. It's on the coast, basically, of South Australia. So there are other reasons. It, the main thing is just planning this kind of thing logistically. Because it would be, you know, three weeks to a month. The oh, other yeah. Thing is, well, and you'd have to have a plan going in, too. Well, you see, and I might... And just locating filmmakers. I'm, that's relatively, I'm relatively uniquely privileged in that regard. Because Netflix has its own production group. So I could potentially pitch it ah, to them. Ah, cool. All right. Um, ah, yeah, and, and so directors and cameramen and everything yeah, you yeah. have available to you. Yeah. No, that, okay, well that then, yeah, so you need a probably a co-producer then or something. Well, what I need to do yeah. is I just need to firstly probably talk to my friend in San Francisco. Secondly, put together a synopsis and take the synopsis into work. Yeah. Yeah. And then see what the people at work say. They may just completely disregard it. The, yeah. There is also an official procedure associated with... you have some photographs of them? ...submitting synopsis. One of them is on Facebook. Okay. Because um, it would be useful if you could, you know, show their picture to the people you're pitching it to. Yeah. I think... Yeah, the synopsis would need to be done very neatly. And, of course, yeah. I have audio of both of them. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You need to make a real presentation yeah. of them if you're going to do it with through them. Yeah. Otherwise, it could be well. Yeah. Hiring filmmakers could get expensive. Uh, it need not. Australia still has a grant agency associated with making Australian films. Mm, okay. Well, In fact, gotta be the only funding I've granted. received for Noble Ape came from the Australian Film Commission. Yeah. So I've already gotten a successful grant with the Australian Film Commission in 97, which probably could go to my benefit because I know how to yeah. get money from these organisations. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, then, then it's just about getting the right filmmakers. And mm. No, I want to talk to my friend first um, in San Francisco and just get a sense of the framing. And then because there is a mutual friend of theirs who listens to Stone Ape and that mutual friend can get in contact as well. I can work yeah. with him too. Yeah. Um, it's interesting actually because he's known one of the folks for about 30 years and part of it was the description that he and his friends gave leading into this because this was done in a kind of layout tour. So these, these two were maybe the last folk I think on the layout tour potentially, maybe, I can't recall. So... Leading up to this, I was kind of told in advance what to, what I was, you know, going to be a part of. And even uh, two weeks before when I recorded a model rail radio, I asked what this was going to be like and got quite an interesting kind of broad overview associated with this. Um, there, the, the thing that would work against us is they're both relatively humble and humbleness works against these kind of things in some cases like well on principle yes but why would anyone ever be interested in you know yeah that this is, uh, is the difficulty well here. that's yeah, yeah yeah that's not insurmountable but, yeah there are a few aspects here and this is certainly a project that i could work out you know over a year or so quite comfortably well i must admit i had a quite different image in my mind's eye about the two old ladies in their stuffed chairs mm. <laughs> they have they have birds for example i I think they have a dog and multiple cats. Yeah. I mean, they are... Um... Well, it makes a difference, though, if you don't make any attempt to look like a woman. Mm. You know, I mean, well, it does to me, anyway. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying yes or no, but I mean, it's just, it's one thing to see a couple apparently little old ladies sitting in their chairs eating a TV dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> some guy in a dress with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I don't know. As a film, like I say, but again, the, the, the filmmaker becomes crucial here. You know, you really have to go into it with an agenda. Well, you don't have to, but I mean, to, to not go in with an agenda could be very dangerous. So I've been thinking about this in an abstract form. And my view is actually that the kind of people, the kind of men who become model railroaders typically have a disposable income. And the kind of people in this country, at least, who have transgender surgery typically have a disposable income. I'm trying to think of what the demographic characteristics would be that would bring these two demographics together. And I think the disposable income component <laughs> yeah, is part of it. That's part of it, yeah. Also, sure. the ability to obviously, obviously kind of cognitize possible worlds. Because this whole thing is about possible worlds. It's not about the current state of things. It's about getting yeah. to a desired goal. And this seems to be two phenomena associated with model railroaders and yeah. transgender folk as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think typically they need to be of above average intellect on some level, which is one of these kind of curious things that people who don't have an ability to do wiring or put scenery together or follow basic processes typically can't be model railroaders. So there are all these skills that would, you know, eliminate probably 
60 to 80 percent of the population. It's not just the skill they're lacking, it's the intention. Certainly. So, I mean, I think I've kind of distilled my thinking on this topic that I've had since we last spoke on it. Um, unless you have any other directions you'd like to take this. Take what? This the trans- discussion trans- of transgender model yeah. railroad. <laughs> no, well, no, I would actually, to me, it's just a discussion about these two old ladies with yeah. an interesting story. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the, mo- I mean, the model railroad is perhaps part of the story. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. But, but see- I just the way you told the story about when, them, I just got this image in my head. Yeah. There. When you see one, basically, they dug out. Or they had machinery to do it, but they dug out a garage. They dropped it down about 17 feet. <laughs> and then they have basically a bunker, which is their, the first layout, which you have to actually, you need to pull yourself backwards <laughs> down into in order to get into it. Yeah. It's very curious. And it is layers of other people's layouts that they've acquired over the past 20 years. So there are about six different layouts that are kind of packed into this bunker. Some of them loosely connected, some of them actually connected. And it really is very strange because you're in layouts from yeah, the early this 80s. This movie through is to... going in very different directions yeah, no, than I had originally thought. And then above, in the actual garage part, is where the older, um, the older little old lady has her in-scale layout, which is considerably more like a miniature world as opposed to the stuff that's in the bunker. And, and which where, is more... do they ha- where do they have their dungeon? Well, that's what the bunker <laughs> is. Oh, okay, yeah, I got it. The bunker <laughs> is like a model rail dungeon. And it really is very curious. I mean, it's very temperature-wise, it's like a cellar, which is very good because in South Australia it gets pretty hot. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're yeah. th- thermally well 20 well feet underground, you're yeah. doing good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is strange when you actually get yourself into it, you realize that you are in someone else's psychology. Like, really, you are surrounded yeah, by yeah. someone else's psychology. Absolutely. And it's a little eerie. And yeah. I think you could frame that in the film quite well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The yeah this this you, movie can go a lot of different directions. The main thing that you miss, actually, is the smell. Because it has a, it's very yeah. kind of solid wood, but also like metal oil smell to it, mm. which is really quite striking. But when I first saw it, I, I had to, I mean, that, it was kind of <laughs> overwhelming to me yeah. that someone had taken so many of other people's layouts and kind of shoved it into this space. And then there are like things layered on top of each other. There's like a three layer subway thing that's in the centerpiece. And it's all, yeah, I mean. The, well, this is turning into a movie about obsession. It is. No, yeah. it really is. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. 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 This is a, it's not a subject not unfamiliar to me. You can't see that. <laughs> So, did you have any other topics you wanted to discuss? Uh, let me see. See, I did take some. Well, yeah, I wanted to um, talk about all this stuff about uh, married people. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you know, I, I never go back and listen to any of these things. But you did. But I did go back and listen to this, which just reinforced why I never go back and listen to any of We'll never do it again, Heron. So, what what came from this re-listen? Well, well I, I actually, it, it was good for me. I learned a couple things here. Mm-hmm. But but the the interesting thing that I'm still trying to understand is, in fact, in a message to me, you said, "Don't feel that you have to defend your position." Yes. And I'm trying to figure out what position is it exactly that I don't have to defend. Well, my th- independently of this, our listener Chris McIntosh posted on Facebook. 
let, let, let me let me frame this let me frame this a better way. I am absolutely stunned week after week that you and I can have conversations which don't end up in the conditions that occurred last week. I think the fact that that's be, oh, okay, yeah. The fact that that's because are, we usually use notes. No, not at all. <laughs> no, I think I. I mean, when, when I you th- don't have notes, you resort to other means. <laughs> oh well, no. but um, and my view is actually that I rarely have the kinds of conversations that I have with you that don't result in the circumstances that occurred last week. I mean, I, it's interesting actually. Wait, say that last sentence again. I'm not sure. I rarely have interactions with other people, my spiritual advisor in particular, that don't end up with what happened last week. Okay. So you're saying what happened is that last week was a normal occurrence for you. In particular, my, so I have this technique, which. No, and I just want to make sure that's what you in fact said. Yes. No, that's what I said. All right. I have, um, my spiritual advisor refers to it as interrogation. I have techniques of style. It's funny. Actually, That's a good word. I, I'd, I'd use that too. Yeah. The techniques of approach and in particular. And, and leading the witness. Also. Exactly. No, yes. no. It's all legal stuff here. And yeah. I should have been a lawyer really to utilize this. But no, yeah. and the interesting thing listening back to it was that it's so natural to me to have to defend, not just defend, but actually try to draw out Something what were you defending? See, I'm still trying to figure out what is it. Well, what is it that you feel you were defending? Was I attacking that, something? Well, what? And, and, and I still haven't answered my question. What position is it that I do not have to defend? What position are we talking about? The position that you have observed married folk at Starbucks. And that has anything to do with your and my interaction. But also that it's. Wait a minute, point, wait a minute. I just want to get this. Don't you think that's just a little bit of a straw man? I mean, come on. Isn't that just grossly oversimplifying? I'm I'm, I'm not clear what you're referring to as a straw man here. Well, that my thing is based on some observations of people at Starbucks. Well, it was one of the examples you used. Yeah, well, it, my ob- observations in life at Starbucks, I'm sorry, I threw out something. But it's the supermarket at work. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, I observe people. Mm-hmm. So this would be your story associated with married people? No, I think it's a, well, again, I'm not cultured this story. You you seem to be attributing some position to me that I don't really feel I have. And I don't understand what it is that you keep going back to. What is my position that is so in need of defense or not? Well, I don't think it is in need of defense. Let's, let's re, let's redraw this thing. We were having a conversation associated with an observation of language monkeys. And then you made the point that I am a language monkey, but you've decided to humor me. <laughs> That's what you said. And okay, th- yeah. then I said, you're not joking, are you? And you said, no, I'm not joking. And I said, what, where, like, where did you come to this point? <sighs> yeah. And then you said, you have a sense that you, that married people, have a series of predilections which move them away from particular things that you want to discuss. God, I didn't hear any of this in that. You're saying I said all this stuff in that recording that I just listened to. I've listened to it four times, and I think maybe maybe I will listen to it again because that's clearly. I mean, I wouldn't disavow any of that stuff, Mm -hmm. but that's clearly not a position I have. That's just me talking off the top of my head in the discussion. 
You know, it's nothing but a statistical observation, which has nothing, no application uh, to any individual. You know, I mean, well, like, th- that's so obvious. I, I just don't understand. I mean, any conclusions I come to about married people or people with jobs or people who make more than $500,000 a year or people who don't make $15,000 a year or people uh, who like model rail railroads, you know, it's just some statistical observation. You or me or any particular person that I'm going to be talking to, that's all irrelevant. I've never pulled my punches with you. I've never avoided topics with you. Well, you kind of asserted that. I mean, that's what you I kind of curious. interpreted it that way. No, no, but no. I, I at- asked you. I asked you explicitly. Have you framed particular discussions or avoided certain discussions? Are there topics that you haven't raised with me? You agreed that there were topics that you hadn't raised. Well, with then me, I'm then I've had full, then I was full of shit because that's just not true. Okay. Well, that's what struck yeah. me at the time yeah. was it seemed kind of strange. Yeah, it, that's just not true. If I said that, then I either didn't understand the question or I was, uh, you know, had too much wine or something. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just pointless. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, in the re-listen. Firstly, I was very aware of my um, interrogation techniques being utilized there, which is a survival mechanism that I have. It comes from my childhood, yeah. where it was a means that I used to survive. I've taken it to a somewhat extreme in my adult life, but it is curious to actually listen to it after the fact. Most of well, my, it's interesting how I can react to that. Yeah, most of my, funnily enough, people may not believe this, but I'll tell this to you, most of my recordings aren't. Sorry, most of my recording, most of my interactions aren't recorded. And to hear it recorded, and it's funny, I, I got an email from Marie Camacho, and she said that she wants to study this whole thing, the whole like intellectual deconstruction and reevaluation that she heard in that recording. Mm, that would be she, interesting. She thought yeah. merited like further investigation. Go for it, Marie. I can't wait to see what you discover. <laughs> well, it's interesting actually because I'm certainly very mindful, and I mean this this again. You have interactions with a number of folk. I mean, Ben Walker is a good example currently, where clearly they come to you with not even necessarily well-defined needs, but particular interests and particular things that they want to discuss with you. And that is, in the re-listen at least, the way that I framed a lot of what you were saying. And that, to me, doesn't... I mean, I don't find that offensive. In fact, it's interesting, actually, because in the first re-listen, which was the edit which I put out, I realized actually that this was a very, should be considered actually quite a natural conversation of which no determinations or positions here should be gauged from it. And in some regard, I think, as you've noted, you were reacting to the stylization of the way in which I was approaching it. Which- yeah, I don't get grilled and accused of bigotry all that often. <laughs> strangely i do but i have good responses based on that well see yeah that's the thing is i just see that that was why it was really useful for me to to realize that i have never really articulated a policy (laughs) to use (laughs) computer theology language on it uh about how i deal with certain kinds of people Mm. And, and i realized that my history on the internet and talking with people has to a large extent been as a as a teacher or consultant, sort of, yes. you know, answering questions and and dealing with people. Well, who, that's the way you'd uh, like to frame it, anyway. Well, well, that's the way I see it. That's my mm-hmm. story. That's exactly my. Yeah, point. no, yeah. not everybody. No, I'm just saying that, that that's the part. That's why I'm there. 
Yes. That's what, that's what's interesting to me is to, to share this stuff, get questions about it from mm-hmm. people and, and be of some service if I can be. Mm-hmm. And, and what, one of the things I've come to is sort of like the Hippocrates do no harm yes. thing, you know, is that, um, there are some people, a small percentage of them actually, that I will actually push, but, you know, and it be, beyond where they may be comfortable with, um, you know, I mean, I will actually push them to stuff they, they may not want to do. I understand. Right? But I don't do that with very many people. Clearly. I was thinking about this with regards to Bob Bottrom, because I was trying to think in terms of shared experiences, because I have a similar... Well, actually, I don't. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you've described, I don't feel in terms of my role or responsibility or interaction. But the longest-term working relationship, which has actually yielded stuff has been my working relationship with Bob Mottram. And the way that it's yielded things is because there's been an active means for Bob to contribute and give feedback. These open source, you know, environments enable his work yeah. to be captured. Yeah. And your interactions, although we've talked about over the past four years, maybe not in the past year or so, but we've certainly talked about the Gendo Wiki, the idea that there is a, a an evolving work yeah. that others can come to and contribute to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting associated with the folks that you push is that that interaction, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not denying that you've made strong impact on a number of people, but my sense with regards to the interactions that you've had with people who I've interacted with is that their involvement has usually been for probably 18 months at most. And maybe they've gone through the learning that they need to go through. Yeah, that sounds... But also- I, and I haven't offered anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not... I, there is nothing for anybody else to do. Mm. So, of course, they're going to hang around and get what they can get. And when they get what they got and they're not going to get any more, they just go somewhere else, which seems perfectly reasonable if I'm not offering anything for them to do. Mm. Yet the requirements of um, not necessarily precision language... But to reproduce what you say through action is an interesting phenomenon that last recording also captured. When I describe your principles, like, you know, the five stupidities in 10 seconds, for example, Mm -hmm. to others, my emphasis is not on the same areas that you choose to find emphasis on when you interact with people as is, you know. Well, the whole idea of summarizing the five stupidities in 10 seconds strikes me as absurd. You could list the five stupidities in, in that l- amount of time. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't see how it could possibly be of much use to anybody to give them five words. You've, you've interacted with people who've been involved with the software industry and computing. But when you interact with people who are a particular kind of software engineer, which is basically a large part of my working life, they have typically anywhere between 200 and maybe even a thousand patterns that they use in software development. Mm -hmm. Those patterns map very well onto the five stupidities. And by by self-selecting or being a part of this group, when I give people the five stupidities in 10 seconds, there are always people who have this mindset where they can map that on to patterns that they utilize. All right, then I haven't had that experience, and that's good. In that case, please continue. (laughs) These are very specific people, and I wouldn't do this for... Yeah, no. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, that's a good point. You're right. There are probably there. Are, yeah, I'm saying that seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. There are some percentage of people that you could just put those five words together in the same sentence, mm-hmm. and they'll actually be able to put that together and make some sense out of it. Certainly, but that's extremely rare. I would suggest. Well, here's the interesting thing, though, Heron. This is a demographic that you've never explored, but it's a demographic that would understand nearly immediately what you were providing. Oh, you're talking about computer programmers. Yes. Yeah, of course. No, I, I've known that from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly one of the audiences I'll be looking at. The other beautiful thing about They this- know the difference I mean, that if you're going to do one kind of application, you use this language, not that language. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. Yes. This is where it gets more interesting because you then get to the advanced topics considerably faster. And the nature of a story, different from the internal narrative, Different from the language machine. But the a no- sto- wait a minute, a story different from the language machine? Yes. What the hell kind of story is different from the language machine? The language machine is the processing. The story is the, is the underlying, like, program. Um, okay, well then you're using language really different than me here. Right? Uh, exactly. Now this is, this is an interesting point. So when this came up last recording, you were swift to correct me as if I was a, about what? Student. Again, I, um, I use the term associated with the, um, acknowledging and distancing yourself from the story uh-huh. of which you kind of jumped on and said, well, that's not the way I'd put it. I'd put it this way. And it's yeah. interesting that you raise it that way because that probably, you know, says more about, you know, what have you. And I, my, sense- well, I guess I'm going to have to go back and listen to this goddamn <laughs> thing again. <laughs> Shit. Bad enough having to. Do I have to listen to the whole thing? No, or where- this, is, this is my point to you, Heron. I don't feel that you need to do a re-listen to this at all. If I, really. Well, but it, the thing is, what you're describing is so different from my experience of, of having listened to that and been there that uh, I, I'm just trying to figure out that one of us is crazy. It's It occurs in the last... 20 minutes of the recording. The, the full discussion associated with marriage and everything well, for the last two, 40 minutes of the yeah, recording, because it, it's divided we, in half. Yeah. Yes. We went through that once, and then we got off it, and then you reintroduced it again at the end. So yes. there were actually two sections of Certainly. this issue. Yes. Well, I, like I say, I'm still not clear what position that it is that, I'm, uh, that I don't need to defend. The notion that you have particular views associated with a group of people that you've observed, of which I am part of this group of people that you have observed, and this limits certain conversations that you will not have. But that's not my position. That's your position. You're the one who said that, not me. You did say it in the recording. Well, I'm renouncing that. I'm happy with you renouncing that. You know, that's just simply, like I say, that... I stand by the statistical inference, but the statistical inference has absolutely nothing to do with Tom Barbelay. That would be my thought as well, which is why I kind of quizzed you about it last week. And I accept that. Grilled me about it. as closer to it. (laughs) Interrogated. There you go. Verbally whipped you. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, the, the important thing for me was that I was unable to... Well, actually, I did answer your your. Your accusation was that I was withholding topics from you, which I denied, I don't know, at least four times. No, what you said was, I don't know what topics I would be raising accordingly. You did acknowledge that there might be topics, and you talked about talking with other people associated with things that you wouldn't talk about with me. If that doesn't um, define what the Well, I can things- say, I, I just don't believe I said it in that way. I think you're paraphrasing me, and I think if I listen to what I actually said, uh, I, 
I bet that uh, those were not the exact words I used. Well, I may have been imprecise, and that's my fault if I didn't articulate it clearly. And uh, I did. I'll well, accept anyway. that. <laughs> but yes. but those positions are just completely foreign to me. So well, they seemed I, relatively foreign to me through the process of doing the recording last week. And my view is, like I stated initially, it is miraculous that you and I can come together week after week and not end up in these situations more frequently. And moreover. The style of Barbelay, as was memorialized last week, is a survival instinct which, on many levels, has got nothing to do with your and my interaction. And certainly, if I have not said it explicitly previously, I'm genuinely sorry that that was represented through that recording. Because, firstly, it identified to me, there's that survival instinct thing yeah which is different it's not it's not even it's not even linguistic heron i mean that's the no thing i know it. It, well it's it is now but but it's rooted deeper than that yeah yes. I, I know yeah. yeah yeah the language is just the top little layer of this shit mm. <laughs> yeah and it's it, it's to do but it's to do with existing in an environment with incredibly intellectually and linguistically competent adults that were just constantly berating you, associate, yeah. berating me, associated with every aspect of my life that yeah. I had to use this as a survival instinct. And well, I still use it through my professional yeah. life periodically. Yeah. But it is very much a survival instinct yeah. rather than something that I should put That's into part of conversation. Your unique form of brain damage is without I have, as I have plenty of parts of Most my own people brain damage. Utilize this in their profession. And I, at some level, very similar to organic chemistry decided that i would not utilize it in my profession because yeah. it was something that i didn't want to i'm all even though i use it in my profession i didn't want it to be a definition of my profession yeah yeah there may be times when it is an appropriate response but th they would probably be quite rare i would assume mm. it's interesting actually um dealing with used car salesmen dealing with medical professionals there are certain circumstances where it is very, very useful, but they are isolated and they are not something that I would use in general, happy, friendly conversation. Do you have any other topics? Okay, well, I just want to get clear between you and I mm -hmm. whether or not you think I'm pulling punches or, or avoiding topics. No, that's why it struck me particularly harshly when you raised it, because it completely smack me upside the head okay well i i don't know you know sometimes uh, my language <clears throat> is sloppy and um i'm still working on that you were under the weather <laughs> as well and that's the thing that really struck me was that me in that mood and you under the weather just basically framed the whole nature of the discussion the fact that i came back a second time for it <laughs> <laughs> indicates what had occurred yes yeah. The, the, well, the, I just the, would like to, like I said, I just would like to put this thing behind me, without question. behind us, and that's exactly and, and, what and I this issue. To do. Well, but there still seems to be some issue about my my position about married people. Get over it, Heron. It's not worthy of discussion anymore. Well, I mean, okay, my, all right. So, I, so, so you're, so it, you're no longer this. concerned with no, that. No, not at all. Okay, it's just a statistical inference. I can make a distinction between statistics and the guy standing in front of me. Yes. Okay. I, no, but moreover, I mean, really, honestly, the kind of defenses that were put up were not, you know, they weren't worthy of our discussion. So I, mean, I just felt yeah. that it wasn't, yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm done. So now we don't have a list to go to. Oh, now, I've got but... more topics. Oh, okay. 
How do you know? Um, because various kind of amusing things have come to me through the week where now it's funny actually you talk about us me you talk about pulling punches and all this kind of stuff my one of the things that i genuinely like doing in what we do here is actually finding topics that make you laugh <laughs> well, and, that works i'll go and, for that and the interesting thing is the topics that make you laugh also tend to be and look, I've got an overwhelming. You've done a study of this. I've huh? got an overwhelming feedback associated with the last recording, and it was overwhelmingly positive. People who have never contacted me previously really? contacted me about the last recording. And why? Because of the conflict? No, not at all. That's what's really fascinating here, Heron. What was it that they liked about it? Every aspect of it. I've got an email associated <laughs> with my dealings it with Wozniak. Just goes to show you what the fuck we know. <laughs> It's interesting, actually, because the every, the thing is that even the commentary associated with the Second World War that we received through the week through Facebook, even though that, I don't think that was the last recording, I think that was the recording before, made me realise that in some kind of curious narrative sense, we seem to be touching a lot of people mm. in ways in which I don't do with my other recordings. Are you getting personal messages yeah. uh, aside from what's just posted on yeah, Sony? Okay, because yeah. then you're seeing stuff I'm not seeing. Yeah, no, people message me directly through Facebook. Joe oh, the Drummer okay. emails me. I mean, okay. it's interesting, actually, because historically what would happen... See, I got no sense of that. I, I see what's posted on the Sony. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think yeah. for whatever reason, people... Well, it's your show. I've said it a dozen times, yeah. and, and we I, we know you're the one who puts all the work in on it. You're the guy to talk to. Yeah, I write the notes, <laughs> what have you. That's right. Yeah. So one thing that's come through this week has been, and really this was an interesting, for me, out of last week's recording, the discussion associated with this 19-year-old model railroader mm. was particularly insightful. Yeah. Having just listened to his audio, you had... Elements, which I knew implicitly, but had not really pushed to the forefront. Yeah. yeah, you knew, but you didn't know you knew it. Yeah, the thing is that this, I mean, literally this morning, I woke up to this guy texting me through Facebook. Yeah. So he, he is this other kid who actually does phenomenal work, but, and this is where it gets interesting. This is another one of these strange groups that you've probably never had any exposure to. When I say furries, do you know what I'm referring to, Heron? Uh, no. These are people that dress up in full body costumes, <laughs> and there's a sexual component to it. Okay, the, the, the Marty Python did a thing about people who dressed up as mice. Well, this is a bit like that. They yeah. typically are more um, cartoon-esque, ah. but they will dress up as wolves or pigs or bears or just in just <laughs> generic animals. Oh, this is good. And how many of these? Just say, like in. In, in California, I say, how many people are into this? I so of the people I've known, I've met two people in the wild who are into this. Is and this a well-known phenomenon? I mean, this has been studied, I guess, right? It's, it's a well-known, it's well enough known. It's got a name now, probably. Furries, yeah. <laughs> when, when we were considering moving to Las Vegas, when we were in the UK... I really didn't want to move to Las Vegas. In fact, I, there was one incident with my spiritual advisor where I actually left her in a restaurant and walked home because I was so sick of this going to Las Vegas discussion. <laughs> and when, when we were looking to go to Las Vegas, 
there were two things that we had contact with Las Vegas associated with. There was a there was a reality TV show called The King of Cars, which related to a car salesman in Las Vegas who had this huge Humvee dealership and Dodge dealership, and he had all these kind of performing characters. And funnily enough, when we went to buy a car the first time in Las Vegas, we actually went to this King of Cars place, which was a surreal and very disturbing experience. (laughs) The other thing that we watched was a program called CSI, which is like a weekly detective show where the crime and scene investigators go in and, you know, measure. I've I've actually heard of that. Mm -hmm. And they had an episode where there was a furries convention in Las Vegas. They had this all this metaphors like the fur pit and things like that, which is just basically an orgy in these kind of fur things. <laughs> when Tracy Portillo first got in contact with me, our mutual friend Tracy Portillo, she indicated that she made costumes for like anime things. Yeah, yeah. And I asked her, um, is this furries by any chance? And because she knew the vernacular, yeah. she completely lost it. And said, no way was she involved with the furries. <laughs> well, she should be. She should be making their costumes for them and charging well, them a bunch of money. <laughs> I just, the, the notion of these costumes, because you'd imagine they'd get soiled and returned for like additional modifications and cleaning. Well, you could mess more, more money. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you can't just take them to any dry cleaner. <laughs> They're not going to understand. <laughs> Or maybe they do. Maybe there are furries allocated to that <laughs> Special ones behind you. Yeah. <laughs> you just bring, bring drive it up in the, the rear. Yeah. You drop it in a trunk, leave, <laughs> return, pay, pick up the trunk. This this thing. God, it's such a great world. You know, I mean, there's always yeah. been every sort of weird shit going on. And everyone's always been isolated. Mm. And now, now the they internet. can all get together. Yeah. It's just amazing. So anyway... <sighs> I'm I'm not going to use, maybe I've already, I don't know whether I've used this fellow's name or not, so I'm not going to use this fellow's name, but Fred has a friend who has also called into Model Rail Radio. Aside from really amazing Model Rail videos where he, like, covers everything, he's also subscribed, and his actual, his, his icon, his, you know, avatar, is of one of these furry characters. He's also yeah. subscribed to a variety of furry channels yeah, on okay, YouTube. Yeah, okay, so he, he's a furry guy. Yes. Yeah, okay. I don't think Fred... <laughs> scoped what that means doesn't grasp that yeah no that's not part of his universe i don't think no he doesn't get that at all anyway (laughs) this fellow it appears now there's a movie fred and in his buddy in his buddy (laughs) his buddy and this is where it gets a little bit interesting because his buddy's 18 now but and how old is fred 19 going on 12 but his buddy for at least the past three or four years has gotten very very expensive train gifts from men Uh uh-huh hmm i don't need to draw dots here (laughs) these these are many thousands of dollars worth of gifts that he's received from these men shit he must be a damn good furry then (laughs) fred does not in any way gauge this and it's now become some mystery that there are certain train events, in inverted commas, that Fred's friend goes to, but Fred doesn't go to. And his friend <laughs> comes back with these expensive gifts. Wow. He wants to go. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yes, man. And when- Get all this free shit. Hell yes. Why can't I go? And now, over the past two weeks, this has blown up. 
I haven't been really, aside from being someone to listen to mainly Fred, but occasionally his buddy, although his buddy hasn't talked to me about the furry stuff, I keep saying to Fred, he needs to, you know, develop his own stuff. Yeah. Work out what he's going to do at college. Don't be so worried about the buddy going off and getting the vast quantities of model rail stuff. Well, again, telling Fred this is sort of... Without question. So this came back to me... He needs some help. He he really does. (laughs) Yeah. And coming to me, texting, messaging me. So anyway, Fred, having come to me and said, this has happened, and my advice to him was, work out your own stuff, don't get into a confrontation with this guy, texted me this morning that he actually, funnily enough, completely ignored what I said and had a confrontation with this guy. This guy has now completely eliminated all forms of communication, has disconnected from him via Skype and other things. By the way, is there a way to get rid of Skype uh, connections? Yes. I can't figure it out. There's a block feature. Oh, oh, block is is getting... I don't want their names on there. Oh, I don't want to block them. I just want to get rid of them. There's no way to just delete the connection so they're not on your contact list anymore. Block is the only option. Yeah. God, how stupid can they get? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. So on- anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I'm left with this Fred guy messaging me saying, you know, you can't understand what's going on. And I've said to him today, maybe as I've been saying, this other kid isn't a real friend. Like he's not like a major friend that you should be. Devoting yeah. your time and energy up. Yeah. Because he's got well, something he's, else but, going on. Yeah, but but Fred doesn't. Not he is his, Fred's friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred's in trouble, man. I don't know what So that anyway, Fred kind of like, gave me an obnoxious response, and I said, okay, I, I've done all I can here, Fred. I hope your day is feeling better. Yeah. And he just responded saying, well, I've, all I was trying to do was to tell you if we both called into Model Rail Radio, if it gets strange, this is what's happened. And I just left it at that. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I have- well, hopefully I won't have to face stuff like this too often. No. Well, you don't have this kind of shit happen very often. No, no. In fact, it's interesting because historically the kids that have been model railroaders have come from very protective families and always quite insular families. Yeah. So when they have interacted with the show, it's usually been on one occasion and typically actually with their parents' involvement. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. it's a very different phenomena than these isolated yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. Which really, I can't offer anything other than, you know, just periodic advice. Well, it's sad. Like I say, it's, it's just sad to me. I mm. mean, that there are, that Fred isn't the only one. There are millions of people probably Clearly. in the United States who are dysfunctional in any number of ways. Here's another phenomena which Fred falls into quite thankfully, actually. Or maybe I shouldn't say that. I mean, Fred can do whatever he wants in this regard. I may have told you this phenomenon. In fact, I'm sure that I have associated with the bikini models that want to join Model Rail Radio. <laughs> yeah. For a period of time, I just deleted these people's images and names and everything. And then one morning, I took a snapshot of my screen and posted it to my Facebook page and said, this person clearly isn't a Model Railroader. And that generated like 40 comments in about 10 minutes. And I thought, really, rather than delete these people, what I need to do is create a Facebook group called Bikini Model Railroaders 
and post the photos of these women to yeah. the Facebook group. Oh, that's a great idea. Did you do that? Of course. Oh, that's awesome. In, in SUP? Yeah. No, Bikini th- model railroaders. Yes. Okay, good. All right. And the, the uh, you might imagine it, <laughs> people will flock to this thing. <laughs> oh, yes, now that you mention it. But why thing, didn't I think of that? The thing that disturbs me more than anything, originally my plan was, and in fact, this is my story and I'm sticking to it, Heron, was to post the photos that these women or uh, whatever spam bots were posting. It turns out that this actually model rail, it's not even really porn. It's like titillating model rail material. Uh-huh. And other people are posting their titillating model rail material. It's like from the 19... I'm looking at it now. It's like, yeah, 1950s idea of... Yes, exactly. ...of, of uh, what's sexy, what you can get exactly. away with. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're not using a locomotive as a dildo. No. <laughs> Although a number are sitting on locomotives. So. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, for, for folks listening in, this has become an interesting vignette into yet another aspect of model railroading. Yes. So, you know, from that, I've realized that when I have these instincts in the future, I just need to kind of set them off and let them run. But it is very strange. Some of the um, spam bots have started putting... The reason I started it, actually, was some of the spam bots have started putting trains in with the bikini models in order to get acceptance. And I think... What what is it that they're hoping to achieve? Oh, they they get on and then they do, like, single posts associated with shoes. I mean, all really misplaced stuff. Like, they're just trying to get to the largest audience possible. How do they make money on it? I mean, what's... Does anybody... Who's making money on it? Apparently, and this is something that I took from a spam conference... 10 years ago. Stealing hubcaps is remotely profitable. It's enough. It's profitable enough. Yeah, if you're good at it, yeah. If you, <laughs> you specialize, can, yeah. 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 Spam is like that. It's it's sufficiently profitable, but it's not really profitable. You have to do a lot of it and all the time, and you can get some sort of minimal trickle of income out exactly. of it. And I think this is exactly the same phenomena. I think for a start, they're probably, they're probably not in the first world. And what actually is very curious is sometimes you will get strangely mangled names, which indicates very clearly. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. We do live in the earth now, yeah. not, not America anymore. <laughs> and my view is particularly the kinds of stuff that they post as well are so strange. A lot of them are, um, like one link porn things as well. So some of the some of these fake people that post on Model Rail Radio are asked to join. You click on their link to get more information, and you're confronted with breasts immediately. <laughs> I mean, the, this kind okay. of technique yeah. is you well, know, at least you know what you're dealing with. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah. it easy to make yeah. a decision. Yeah, no, it's actually very interesting. I mean, we we talked about this with Marie Camacho when she joined the Stone Ape Facebook group. She has yeah. a photo in a bikini. Yeah. it's like a second yeah, photograph. I, and I immediately that. thought. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, no, now maybe... it's starting up on Stone Age. Yeah. <laughs> the spam bots want to get well, to we've our made it. We've, we finally made it. Yeah. Yes. Damn, and it was actually a real person. It's funny actually because we have we have had one spam post on the Facebook group recently, oh, and I good. pulled that person immediately um, <laughs> and blocked them. But up until this time, we've had some eclectic people that have looked like spam bots that I've still allowed through. Here's another thing. So I had, before the Conscious in the Cloud talk, I had dinner with Reese Jones and another participant. 
And we, I talked about the demographics of, of model rail radio and the demographics of Stone Ape. Stone Ape is the first thing I've done that has roughly a third of the listeners being women. A third? That's good. Real women, yeah, too. Yeah, not yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. making an assertion associated with transgender no, no, community, I, yeah, women, no. women. But the phenomena of women listening to Stone Ape and also being very, very engaged in the topics yeah. strikes me as something which is... And perhaps it's just because the communities that I've typically talked to have been a majority men. Yeah, yeah. But it is very curious to me. A third. I'm uh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. You know, uh, that sounds like a really good percentage given this point in history. Certainly. You know, at some point it should probably be higher, but, yeah. but that's awfully good. Yeah. And I think this is something that you and I could not do on our own. There's something about this interaction that women seem to gravitate to. Well, we couldn't, nothing on our own wouldn't, I wouldn't have done anything on my own. Mm. You know, and you can't do. You did, you you did Genda on. Well, well, yeah, Yeah. but that, that was, well, yeah, but that's not quite the same. You turned this into an actual thing. Mm. Gendo isn't, has not been turned into a thing yet. Mm. You know, it's about to, but, but it hasn't yet. I've resisted that for ages. <laughs> the first podcast that I... St- I think this is the case. I'm almost positive the first podcast I started in 2006 was a monologue. Mm-hmm. That went on... I can't recall the last time I recorded a monologue, Ape Reality, which is the name of the podcast. Um, but it's interesting, actually. Marie Camacho has also started listening to Ape Reality from its beginnings as well. Mm. Um but yeah, that kind of remained, I mean, there are half a dozen shows, recordings within Ape Reality that aren't monologues, but I have a strong tradition of recording monologues. Yeah, see, I've never done that. Yeah. It's just completely foreign to me. That's one of the things that I'm going to have to overcome in, in putting Gendo out there is I'm going to have to do some YouTube videos uh, saying all this shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, one thing that we kind of explored last recording, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about, is your sense of the monastic tradition. And it's something that's interesting because certainly I've thought a lot about my interaction with Bob Mottram. Mainly, actually, because I'm giving a talk at the contact conference at the end of this month. And I'm very mindful that that talk was originally prefaced two years ago when Bob was very actively involved with Noble 8. But now he is not. I've actually rewritten the topic around him not being involved. But the monastic tradition that you are talking about is ultimately that students will come to you and learn from you and then, as you've noted, potentially move on. But this is something that you are very much formulating in the context of Gendo through, well, I mean, you've been talking about it for many of the years that we've been talking, but you seem to be more focused on that now. Well, not not really. It's just uh, as things develop, I get more ideas and those things come to the front for a while. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's clear to me that I have no idea how that'll actually turn out, but the idea strikes me that once Gendo is in the world as a you know, as a product, as a thing that's recognizable, that, you know, a certain percentage of people will, you know, you know, be like those autists, you know, like people who are, who just are not cut out for, you know, a family and a job, you know, and stuff who, who would who can commit themselves to some other weird shit, you know, mm. there, there's some small percentage of people. And uh, I think that's, those are the monks. 
But there are also there are also the congregation, for want of a better metaphor. No, actually, see, I don't see a congregation. You don't, don't see a congregation. No, I don't want a congregation. I want people to come in, do the study, and then get the hell out. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Like military service. Well, yeah, you almost could see it. Like I said, they come in to learn something. Mm. You know, and, and I see a reason to have support for that, too. Some ongoing classes. For, like I say, I think there is there are people who are... Who are who want to go deeper into it, and I want to accommodate that. Hmm. But I think that's a relatively small percentage. I think most people will come in, take the course, get some value out of it, hopefully apply it. But that's hmm. really up to them. The all thing that the only thing I can assure, and by testing them, is whether or not they actually understand the concepts. Yeah. Whether they apply them is a completely separate issue. I would encourage them to do that, but you know that there's nothing I can really do about that. They can come in, they can take the course, and they can study it, and they can be tested, and we can give them a red belt in Gendo. Hmm. They understand this. What they do with it, um, but like I say, I assume there's going to be different percent. Some percentage of people are going to want to pursue it further, and some percentage of those will want to pursue it further. And uh, I want to be able to accommodate all of those. And the monastery is for those people who want to go all the way. <laughs> About four years ago, I was approached by two or three individuals to set up an artificial life forum which is an online forum where people could post about their projects and talk mm -hmm. about artificial life concepts and all this kind of stuff. And I set it up and I worked with an artist to design the forum. And last year I had to renew the domain names and re you know, re-salt the servers and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, based on the volume of traffic that I'm receiving or the lack of volume of traffic, if this thing hasn't like picked up within a year, I'm just going to shut the whole thing down. The domain name came up for renewal midweek this week, and I shut the whole thing down. It's an interesting process when you get into these engagements, particularly when you're planning on engaging with a group, whether you have in the process some means of shutting this whole thing down if it doesn't net what you want in a short term or even some term. Well, that, that shouldn't be up. that difficult, is it? Not at all. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty that's, simple. If it's not working, you shut it down. That's one of the things that I find interesting because certainly with Noble 8, to a lot, not with Model Rail Radio, but with some things in my life, there have been points, Field of Chaos is a good example of that, where I could have shut things down and left it. And with Field of Chaos, I did shut things down. Yeah, you can always start them up again. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good news, yes. So the artist I worked with for Fresh Sim, which is the name of the forum, was very upset that this thing was coming to a close. And contacted me repeatedly saying, we need to still maintain this thing, this is still important to people. Good, start it up. And I said to him, <laughs> if that were the case, people would be, because I announced it. I announced it through a variety of Facebook pages. Oh. I announced it through the Biota podcast. I made a special podcast recording saying at the oh. start of this year or the end of last year, if you are interested in maintaining this aspect of the community, go to FreshSem, yeah, right. post on yeah. it, keep us updated through that. If you're happy with the various methods that we're using to communicate currently, be happy with that, and we'll just let Fresh Sim close. Yeah. Last night, I went back to my domain name registration provider and thought I could re-register Fresh Sim and continue this thing on for another year. My domain registration provider, Network Solutions, who I wouldn't recommend to anyone, decided that they were going to tack on an additional $25 <laughs> per domain name, and I thought, screw this. You've just got to walk away, Tom. This is it. Yeah, yeah. You know, firstly... Someone else will start it if it needs yes, to be started. Yes, exactly. And they will, they will 
probably put in more effort. People are using Reddit now. People are using Facebook. People are using a wide variety of things, yeah. Meetup, in order to create these communities. And yeah. many of their attempts have not been as successful as I've been in the past with other things. Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, is pretty damn good mm. if you know how to use it. It probably mm. could be a lot better, but... Uh, yeah. 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 It's interesting, actually. We were talking after Conscious in the Cloud about Meetup. And my main frustration about Meetup is that it costs me $15 a month. Yeah. Not a huge amount. No, but but it shouldn't, it shouldn't cost anything. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what I've used it for is tried to maximize maybe $5 a month. Maybe they should pay something. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause I can see how if you don't, charge anything there a world is full of fucking idiots who just start shit up because they can start shit up with no consideration of much of anything other hey let's start this up (laughs) you know if you charge them five bucks that'll stop most of that shit well that's interesting i i agree in part my main concern is that meetup then says to you if you charged people to attend your meetings then you would repay this money instantly plus make profit yeah. Which I think is basically something that I saw through SourceForge, yeah. which is an open source site that then said. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're charged, if you're using them to advertise your services for money, you know, I don't see why they shouldn't take a cut of that. Well, no, what they want you to do is start charging the people that attend your meetup group so you can pay your meetup fee and then make money on top of that. Oh, it's, well, whatever, anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's... Well, this will get worked out over the next decades. Yeah, I mean, that, what interests me, actually, is probably using Meetup to start this kind of thing and then moving it to something like Facebook, where you do yeah. do this for nothing. Well, you're talking about physical Meetups, because, yes. you know, there are Meetups that are only online. I know. I oh, well, you know Dave does that, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, but, yeah, the the idea of... Well, you know, I don't know how... They're actually harder to... Do. My view is, actually, Meetup has stamped that out, because I've tried to do that with regards to to model rail radio recordings uh-huh. and meetup doesn't allow you to do that anymore it might have been historically maybe he's um, grandfathered in or something who knows i'm yeah. certainly not so, yeah because i yeah. tried to do it so well again I, I think all these things are you know we're just a little ahead of our time here this is all just standard for a reasonable communication system on a planet like this mm. <laughs> you know we're well, just yeah, it's certainly we're a little slow, but we're getting there. Certainly, the success of the last conscious in the cloud has made me realise that um, without Meetup, it wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, but with Meetup now, it's something where I can actually gather together people that I would never have been able to reach yeah. through Facebook yeah. podcasts or other things. Yeah, it's a whole different group of people. It's orthogonal to the groups yeah. that I had used previously. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good thing. Yes, and yeah. maybe that's worth fifteen bucks a month well yeah maybe mm. well, the, the, well that's good it'll force you to use it effectively it has certainly done that i have an interesting <coughs> relationship with the medical establishment in this country and it's come to a head through two things well whenever my spiritual advisor or typically when my spiritual advisor goes to the doctor associated with ailments not so much associated with the dentist but i will typically tag along just because as witnessed last week I have a particular way of interrogating <laughs> professional people who are seemingly intelligent about uh, an interesting set of topics. My spiritual advisor, since she moved up here, has had um, more bouts of tonsillitis that you can count on two hands. She's actually been quite sick for good portions of her time here and all tonsil related. So after, well, from the start of this year, it was clear that she had to have the whole stuff removed 
Yeah. And w- that was routine when I was a child. I know. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I had mine out uh, as just routine mm. thing when I was like eight or something. Mm. Yeah. I've only ever had problems with my adenoids. I've never had problems with my tonsils. My tonsils remain intact. In fact, my tonsils are tiny. The things along the side underneath the tonsils kind of come out at particular times, but the tonsils themselves remain surprisingly yeah. uninfected. Adenoids, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, through this interrogation, her operation date was set for next week. And through this week, it's been cancelled and repositioned a week and a day following which works out particularly poorly for contact, but we'll work through that. My responsibility has been to make sure that the doctor delivers a series of very basic kind of professional steps, which we're actually missing through this process. So part of it has been kind of, you know, quizzing and making sure that he actually appreciates the reasons that my wife is having her tonsils removed. About a month ago, you may recall, maybe six weeks ago now, our one of our cats started having seizures. And in taking the cat to the vet, the cat was prescribed anti-seizure medication. But through this process, the anti-seizure medication also limits the cat's life because of kidney overload. It's a small cat. The medication affects the kidneys. I have been giving the cat basically an eighth of the medicated dose that was indicated by the vet. And through the week, I forgot to give the cat one of these doses. And the cat went into complete seizure because of this. And before you were giving it only one eighth yes. of the dose, yeah. but that missing eighth, yeah, uh, wow, well, that's dramatic evidence. And it made me realize very swiftly that I'm one arrogant SOB with regards to medical things, and I probably need to critically assess this in terms of all the interactions that I have with doctors. But moreover, um, it really damaged the cat. The cat's recovering. He does a thing, series of things really differently. But here I was actually doing meaningful damage to a creature who I actually spend quite a bit of time Well, but I, you, that was not, I mean, you did that out of, well, maybe not even out of ignorance, but, but uh, that certainly wasn't your intention. I, I had done a risky Why behavior. Why were you doing? Because I don't like, I've seen cats die of kidney failure. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You were reducing, it, it made perfectly good sense the way you were going. Yeah. I just r- went too close to the. Well, sun you for, in this you life. say you forgot. Yes, I oh, forgot. Okay, so so yeah, that's if if you did anything wrong, you forgot. But your yes. procedures strike me as more or less rational. And I kept him without seizure for, like I say, the past six weeks, quite comfortably. Yeah. Well, how is he now? He's he's much better. I mean, he, I'm I put and him up. To the, he, I'm going to give him the half dose. I'm not going to take it down to an eighth again. I'm just going to give him the half well, dose. Why, well, why not take it down to an eighth? That was working fine. Made me take it down slowly again, but uh, that appeared to be working fine. I can't rely on my memory when it's over four days. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, go with half and see how that works then. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Good. But it made me realize that um, implicitly, I take these kind of risks that are based on what appear to you to be clearly rational things. But most people in this country don't have this view with regards to medical professionals. And I think it creates a number of things which are relatively unique to this country in terms of people's relationship with the medical profession. It's very... I mean, my experience of medicine in this light comes through living in Australia. My grandfather was a doctor. My aunt is a doctor. My cousin is a doctor. 
And interacting with these people, firstly, I appreciate the length of time and energy and effort that goes into becoming a doctor. But I also acknowledge that these people are fundamentally fallible. In parallel parallel to this, through my 10 hours of Netflix, I have been watching a series, it's like a season of these airline disasters. And it's, it's really a morality story because these airline disaster shows are talking, they come to the end and they give you the conclusion of why this will never happen in the future. Oh, really? Oh, why good. the oh, flying nice. establishment has learnt from this error. And a number of them actually, particularly the ones where some terrible disaster happens, but they're actually able to land the plane, typically with minimum casualties, comes through an ability to realise at some point what piece of information you're receiving is wrong. You're being you're receiving vast quantities of information, but some of this information is wrong. And you have to create a judgment based on what of this information is wrong will enable you to yeah. survive through this. Yeah. Some of the pilots just panic. Yeah. And this, I think, has been increasingly screened through simulation and just flying hours and what have you. But the pilots that can actually work through the information that they're receiving and make judgments based on what is wrong. I mean, some of these accounts are of planes literally falling out of the air. Pilots that are being told in one sense they're going too fast, in another sense they're going too slowly, and they decide to side with the thing that they're going too fast and basically reduce the plane to the point where it just literally drops out of the air. Yeah. And it really is... I mean, my spiritual advice is, why on earth are you watching this sh- these shows? Particularly just before you go to bed. <laughs> because you are filling your head with all this stuff associated... And I've, I've had some bad flying experiences. I've thrown, flown through a tropical cyclone, which was actually far more interesting than it was scary. Because you realised, basically, you were experiencing something that few people ever experienced yeah, from. Yeah. And, it, and it-, it was like a giant octopus in the air. It had tentacle arms of clouds. It was visually stunning. Once you got over the fact that you were going through extreme turbulence and you were looking out into this thing, it was the most sublimely beautiful thing out that you could imagine because it's huge for a start. It's It's psychedelic, actually. (laughs) No, it's almost (laughs) fractal in terms of its complexity. Yeah. Not almost. I think it actually yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting as well is I've also, I've had a tail um, jam, like the, um, you know, the rudder and the elevators on the tail jam in a flight over Germany. Jeez. And that was particularly interesting because it was a Lufthansa flight. And typically they will say the thing in German, then English. And in this case, they only said it in German, and then people started praying. And I realized, <laughs> I didn't really need to know what oh, was going on in yeah, the Yeah, that's okay, thanks anyway. Yeah, I kind of got a clue. <laughs> and the kid next to me furiously started eating chocolate, which I thought was just like an amazing reaction to an <laughs> right, impending disaster. I would hope I'd be as smart as that kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> you need caffeinated wits in these circumstances. What I found fascinating in that was, I guess I'd had some experience of flight simulators, not as much as I've had after flying like that, but you could tell actually that they were using the ailerons to guide the plane very with very large sweeps. Yeah, I understand. But they actually came in to land quite comfortably just on the ailerons. Yeah, good pilots. I've had a plane that was part of a federal investigation in Australia. It was hit by lightning and it just dropped a thousand feet just like that. I mean, I've been in these... and I don't like flying. When when you travel to Australia, you hit 
the equatorial jet stream. They now take the flights in considerably easier. Um, it, when I flew to the US in the 90s, in the early 90s, 90, on a continental flight, they hit the jet stream basically head on. And you are thrown in that circumstance. You, you get turbulence when you hit the jet stream anyway. And even at the gradual now, it's less violent than it was. Yeah. But those Boeing 747s with the hoods that they have, that hits the um, equatorial jet stream and you know it. You've got basically between an hour and four hours worth of just turbulence yeah, where yeah. you don't even realize that you it's no, just amazing that go planes, through that every day too it's and amazing. they hold together they hold it's together a yeah, tribute to engineering yeah it's it's mainly tolerance actually i mean that's the interesting yeah. thing is that it's mainly tolerance engineering yeah how much stress can it take and distributing the stress evenly and, yeah 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 it's so, an amazing science i mean through through my new position at work I kind of, and it's not turbulence and you're not dealing with people's lives, but I am dealing with things that are considerably larger in scope than has been like my professional career up until this point. And it is very interesting because you oftentimes are presented with mixed information of which some is clearly wrong. And yep. you have to be able to identify that. I think that's an important skill. And I don't know how people pick that up other than perhaps <laughs> observing. Yeah, on the job training. Yeah. It's called experience. Yeah. But I, it's funny that I'm, I'm, I'm gravitating to this kind of format programming currently and actually finding a great degree of peace in, in you know, what is presented to me. A great Through. deal of peace? Yes. That, that basically, the, that this is actually a process that other people have dealt with in life and death situations. And the way in which they respond in life and death death situations is a way in which I can learn from and embody even dealing with, you know, millions of users at Netflix. Uh, and just the fact that it's not about historical notions of right and wrong. It's actually about tolerance and justification and counter-justification, which is an interesting phenomena. I mean, it's clearly taught to pilots through simulation and through hours of flight, but there is a component to it which is rational and there's a component to it which is fundamentally experiential. And I don't think it's really talked about enough. There was a discussion associated with uh, surgeons, the um, what they call the flight checklist that they also use with operations now, which is basically the airline industry to surgeons yeah. associated with you cannot have a view of yourself as being superhuman. You have to acknowledge your humanity and the failings of your humanity in order to do these complicated things. You have to submit yourself to the system. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yes. Which takes, That's a hard thing. People yeah. take that as such an infringement on my selfhood. Exactly. You know, but uh, it's absolutely... See, to me, that's an essential part of being a citizen of Earth. Yeah. Is that being able to, to, to live that ideal. Yeah. As part, well, again, as part of the the story that needs to be addressed. Yeah, the story that needs to be addressed. Well, don't ask me to explain <laughs> what the hell that means. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't get away with anything here. Jesus, sorry. Well, yeah. somebody out there might have gone, "Ooh, yes, <laughs> yes." Not Marie Camacho anymore, Heron. She's not anymore. Here. She's no, no. <laughs> One thing. Well, what if people want to ask questions? 
Well, this is interesting now. This we is can't do that now. Don't keep your fucking questions to yourself. What kind, of, what kind of? Well, here's what you need to do. There's a higher entry bar for questions now. Here's how it happens. <laughs> I have various experiences through the week. The Fred conversation is one that merit raising. And my view is actually, I get a lot of correspondence from Joe the drummer still that could easily become that. But, you know, various people contact us through the week and it becomes a topic of conversation which can be embodied. And I think that is probably the better way than just reading out questions which are clearly okay. out of sync with... I'll tell you what, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to raise a question with me mm-hmm. to raise it with me. Definitely. You know, directly. Yes. You figure out how to do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm open to that. I'm not prom- I'm not making any promises of what I'm going to do with it. But uh, if there's something you want to hear from me, uh, yeah, listen to me. Shit. <laughs> anyway, you know how to get old. Yes. So one of the things that we are doing currently, which really we've been doing for probably a year now, but we are doing seriously in terms of literally week to week, month to month, putting our names to contracts is looking for a house in this part of the world. And this is a process which is beyond really any kind of experience that I've had previously, even though we have a house in Las Vegas. Things here, the only houses we're actually seeing are actually houses that people have died in. And that is a very curious phenomenon, because for <laughs> you, you see these houses that are built 110, 115 years ago, where very little work has been done on them in the past 60 years. And actually, they're the ones that... That's probably the kind of house that we will end up getting. Holy shit. Well, that's all, well. then you need to figure out what it's going to cost. Well, yeah. That's part what, of the what calculation. Are you do? Yeah, right. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to have to spend a whole bunch of money on it. And, I mean, part of that is also working out what rooms we would live in initially, whether the kitchen is even usable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all these kind of strange calculations. Why do it? Why fuck, Why the hell fuck? Why do that? Well, there are two options. Why even buy a place? Who cares? Well, let me explain. Other than <laughs> buying a house, there are two options. We can continue to live where we live currently. Part of where we live currently is that we signed upon entry the fact that this place contains asbestos. And also, it's really very toxic. The stuff that my spiritual advisor has had with her toxic. Okay, so you need to get out. Listen, that, that's not the issue. Let me move from that. <laughs> so, we, no, well, we need to get out of here. Yeah, clearly. Okay, yeah, that's, but buying a house is one thing. Getting out of that, there's Let's a number of two options. other options. Yeah. Okay. This is my, was my point. Clearly, we need to get out of where we are. We could stay at a Motel 6. Uh, no, there aren't even Motel 6s in this area, unfortunately. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the two other options is to find another apartment complex that's more modern, and there are two issues with that. None of the apartment complexes in within a 30-mile radius allow cats and have a washer and dryer in the apartment. I've lived quite comfortably without a washer and dryer in the apartment. I mean, when I first moved here, I did that. But as I'm getting older, the notion of, and as it's getting rainier here, the notion of lugging washing, you know. Yeah, that's no fun. It's no. just useless. The cats Well, are couldn't you just put your own washer and dryer in there? Not in the places. No, that's, you, there's no space for that. Okay. Uh, the cats are another issue, and the cats are actually a very serious issue because yeah. no place, th- we found the apartment that had the washer and dryer and would allow cats in the area. And there are much nicer apartments with washers and dryers, but we would need to do something with the cats. So from this, 
for the same money we're paying in rent, we could buy a house. And that is the decision out of the three. Well, actually, there's another decision, which is that we could buy a condominium. The condominiums are similarly priced to the houses. Many of them are at the same price or maybe $50,000 less, but they have homeowners association fees, which make it nuts. We saw a perfectly nice condominium on Saturday, but if you, firstly, most of the space is in corridors, so you've got very long corridors in order to fit in the condominium with these rooms, and you just don't get, you don't get the benefit of of the money, you know, you're just paying for something else. So through this, we've come to the decision that we will purchase a house. And that's what we've been looking at. Why not rent a house? Um, well, that is another issue. The cats work against that. So the places that... When we first came... Well, when I first moved out here, my spiritual advisor stayed in Vegas. And she was pretty optimistic that we could find a house, particularly because the realty market seems to indicate that there are there is a strong rental market here. But the cats, again, work against that. Secondly, I'm just so sick of... I mean, you are very, very lucky where you are, Heron. You are very lucky that you have such a good relationship with your landlord. Yeah. And these yeah, things right. don't yeah. typically exist. That yeah, I've got a planning yeah, and strategy. Yeah, yeah it's uh, one of the... Yeah, it's a good situation. Mm. Yeah, I actually was thinking about that. I, I really like... I mean, the kids are not perfect. They got some teenage kids who, you know... <laughs> well, I could think. But all in all, man, they're a good family. You know, they're, yeah. you know, they're language monkeys, but... But, you know, they're good language monkeys. They're not mm. out to hurt the world. They take care of themselves. They work hard. You know, they're quiet. You know, they're great. Yes. Yeah. In contrast, whenever I've rented outside apartments, I've had to deal with landlords and even in apartments. I mean, that's part of the problem is that the we have tenants in our house in Las Vegas. We've not raised the rent on them. We've enabled them to do modifications. We've done a series of things that I think is our base level of this is being good landlords. Yeah. We've never once experienced that. When I lived in Australia, I had a landlord that would turn up at 7am on a Saturday to do an inspection, Mm. to work something out. Yeah. He would bang on the thing until (laughs) I was up. He yeah. would complain that because I'd been working on assignments all night, that you know there were as a pile of books. You know, he yeah, obviously, point, yeah, yeah. It yeah. got to the point where basically I did maintenance on the place, the electrical. Why didn't you the move? Plumbering. Um, I was on. It was a period of time where basically I was skipping meals in order to afford the internet. I was financially yeah. in a very poor position then. I worked. Up until um, yeah, yeah. Up until I was 20, I worked quite comfortably for a physics institution. And then I got into this working for the company that ultimately sent me over here. The kind of, I don't even know what you'd call it. But basically, I was working a few hours a week, 20 hours a week, typically, plus studying full time. And the people I was working for the 20 hours a week weren't really doing very well by me. I mean, normally I was getting good money, but the actuality of it was that it wasn't a particularly good situation. And certainly when you, um, the cost of living in Australia is ridiculous. The cost of rent, commercial rent, or or even in this case, I was renting a double garage. I was paying, um, for maybe 600 by the time I left, 600 a month for a double garage out in the middle of someone's garden. (laughs) 15 years ago. Oh, man. And that's just that's yeah. just rent in wow. Australia, you know, in Canberra, where I come from. It's funny, actually, because my, my mother is a landlord in Australia, and the people who are her tenants get a far better deal 
because primarily they're typically my brothers plus some of their mates or what have you that rent rooms in the family home. Um, but yeah, standard, you're just someone renting in Australia. It's not a particularly pleasant experience. And here, you, I would pay more for renting a house than I would pay for a mortgage here. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't sit easily for me that yeah. I've got to deal with some of the human psychology. Well, I guess, I guess the only thing I'm thinking about is uh, the idea of buying a place that needs to be rebuilt. You know, unless you're really into rebuilding and you think that's going to be fun project, then I would think, why not just spend more money or get a smaller place? That well, you get a smaller in. place that yeah. needs to be rebuilt anyway. The, the thing about it is... And you can't afford to get a place that actually you can just move in and live in? Not currently. Then why the fuck even bother? Well, because you got to get out of the place you're exactly. in. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well then, yeah. If you got to get out of the place you're in, then you're going to have to pick something so. yes and i i always view these things as places where if i wanted to change aspects of my life i would just rent these places out you know if if i had to go and work in seattle or london or what have you then i just rent the place out and this is something that i'm considerably more utilitarian about than most of the people i encounter yeah. although many of my co-workers actually have places that they rent out plus additional places and I think the current economy has kind of created that in this country. Um, so, yeah, I, my view is actually buying a house isn't particularly scary. You just need to get to the point where you can actually buy a house. And we did. Well, I get, for me, it's the issue of, like I say, buying. If, for me, I'd want to, I don't want to be hassled with bullshit, you mm. know, rewiring stuff, replumbing mm-hmm. the place, <laughs> doing the floor. You know, I just, that's not fun for me. So I, I would just have mm. to figure out some way to buy a place that i could actually live in mm. we did actually make a successful offer on a place towards the end of last year but our realtor our former realtor had a relationship with the uh seller's agent which meant it was unworkable basically and we walked away from that we walked away from that realtor so we have been in a position and that place was actually pretty well finished in fact very well finished um it was on a like a three-lane street which is really a negative for me. Yeah. Um, but it was fully finished and we could have, we could have moved in as was. Um, but I was just so irked by the realtor. Well, you could always move a little further out too, you know. Well, that's, I mean, that's what we're looking at as well. I like to be in, there are certain parts and certainly we're looking at a place tomorrow, which fits in perfectly where there are kind of maybe two or three companies I could work for in this part of the world reasonably comfortably. Netflix is just my favorite. So finding a location that would be comfortable cycling distance to these companies is part of the location thing. Yeah. I, I will. Yeah, that's highly restrictive then. Yeah. No, not necessarily so. Well, what, what, what's your, ra- di- or your radius for? <laughs> um, for about, this? uh, about 10 miles. 10 miles? Okay. That's not so bad. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that actually covers quite a lot of ground. And the interesting thing here is that there are nice cycling and walking trails. In almost all given directions. Yeah. And that's actually quite comfortable. And in fact, in all the places we've looked at, they've all been within 30 minutes at most bike ride from Netflix. So, Hmm. you know, but it's an interesting philosophy because you go into these environments and I'm very sensitive to mold. So that's one of the first things that I can kind of suss. But you are really going into a place where people have died recently. 
And that in and of itself is an interesting psychology. <laughs> yeah. We went to one place that was actually, it was interesting because it had a basement, but it was genuinely scary. It was like a horror film to the point where we both walked out and realized it was the <laughs> worst house on the block on the street. Yeah. But there was no way. I mean, there was a hundred thousand dollars worth of work that just had to be done on the place just not to be scared when you went in there. <laughs> and we could rent it out to movie uh, studios mm. <laughs> or art students or there someone. You. Yeah. But actually, the reason that we're buying a house is so we can live in it, which kind of defeats the purpose in that light. But no, what's interesting as well is how many of the houses here are exactly the same. Like what happened in the 1950s and really actually where you grew up is is very similar. That there were just a series of cookie cutter houses that they just dropped. Yeah, every seventh or eighth house yeah. was exactly the same. Yeah, and so it repeated through. Yeah, uh, that was how I grew up. Yeah, no, well, that's suburban America. I mean, that's just the phenomena. I mean, it was the same in Las Vegas. They've they gotten more sophisticated country. now with their general systems theory and able to shuffle the basic units around so that it's not quite so obvious that they're really all the same. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, what they do is they do various external styling things to try to. Well, they, they, they do some, but, well, yeah. they're very clever. They're, they're, you know, but these are a lot more expensive though, too. On, True. Yeah. <laughs> the other yeah. hand, these are, they are big houses. The place I used to live in La Palma was nice house. Yeah. Yes. Well, I am fading fast here, Heron. I'm running low on topics and running low on water and various other things. Is there anything that you wanted to conclude our discussion with this evening? Well, I'm trying to think what, how I feel about this no topics thing. Oh, I'm not convinced. Well, I don't, I don't care. I didn't get any of those letters. So what the hell can I say? I have no idea what folks, what you know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Actually. Yeah. All you guys who wrote to Tom, please uh, just post it on the Stone Ape uh, Facebook page Yeah, or send it to me personally. I'm curious because um, I didn't think much about it, really, except for the, you know, the two grilling our interrogations, <laughs> uh, you know. I think I, I, I'm surprised. I mean, thing, I'm really surprised that I mean, because that's really the only memorable part of it for, well, me. for you. Yes, this is interesting. <laughs> but other people took other things away from it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's why I'd love to hear what they are. I think the I mean, the feedback that I've received is that the lucidity of the discussion was different than if we had topics inserted to us. Yeah. And the problem is oftentimes these topics... I don't know what that means. Well, you know, historically the way that we've done this thing over the past year at least has been we've had half a dozen topics that have been suggested by listeners and then we've wiggled in, you know, maybe another half a dozen topics. Run our mouths on it for a while. But the main thing is actually, and this is interesting and this is certainly feedback that I'm going to give both to you and to the listeners, I can never tell how you're going to respond to the topics. And the topics that interest me sometimes don't interest you. Yeah. And oftentimes what we use is the topics as springboards. So we kind of ask the question. We find something and then that we, go we can off both find another, interesting. Yes, yeah. from that. <laughs> yeah, Which, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, if we're not both having a good time, then we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing with the whole topics framing. Also, I think genuinely associated with the listeners, and I was saying this with Joe the Drama this week, you know, it seems like the listeners have also gotten tired with the topics. I mean, because they're not submitting them anymore. They don't Maybe have they're getting sense. tired of us. No, that, well, that's what... No, that, that couldn't be. No. The, the correspondence this week seems to indicate that that wasn't the case. Oh, okay. And it's interesting, yeah, actually, After listening to that thing, I'm not sure I'm not getting tired of us. <laughs> 
Well, that's why you should never listen to them after I, the recording. I, I don't intend to ever again. No, I do. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be a risky <laughs> thing to start off with, but you know. yes. In contrast, I typically listen to every Stone Ape recording at least ten times within a given year. Really? Yeah, I listen ten to it primarily. Times? I listen to it when I walk primarily, and particularly the the day like I walked home tonight. And what do you get after two or three? I mean, do you actually find yourself dis- making discoveries? Yeah. Uh, so what so- I he, here's the format that I do it in. I you need to my, write a book about this on my uh, on my iPhone. I maintain at least 10 Stone Ape recordings, of which four are always the last four. Mm-hmm. And then eh, typically three are the ones of our original recordings, and then there'll be a blend in between. Okay. And there were a series of ones, actually, which I don't go back to and listen to frequently, just because they irritate me now. Listening <laughs> to and these yeah. are the ones associated with the documentary discussion and some of the stuff oh, yeah. associated with other projects that we kind of floated doing, but never actually got around to doing for yeah. a variety of reasons. And yeah, those yeah. discussions just, yeah, yeah. They're, they're ones that I would, if I went back and actually edited these things after the just fact, I might cut those. Yeah. Um, however, I'm sure, I mean, some people are I actually, think it's important to leave it, you know? No, some people are on their second listen associated with these recordings and email me accordingly. They say, you know, I'm on my second listen through the full really? Stone Ape repertoire. Wow. This wow. is what I've gone through the second listen. Oh, boy. And what, you know, God, that, and what if they... See, I had no idea that people would do stuff like this. Yeah. I, I would love to... Are they making some interesting observations uh, on going through this stuff? And well, I Are think- they taking notes? Hey, if you guys are listening to this stuff that seriously, take notes, man. I hope you're taking notes. Well, it's interesting because people listen to it in different formats. There's a fellow called Paul Brian Hancock who I've met. He was previously... He's from Adelaide, South Australia. He did come to the Model Rail Radio uh, meetup, although I don't think he met the, the transgender Model Railroaders through that. Um, and he used to be a banker, like a financial analyst, what have you. I don't know actually what he did professionally, but he made... He made good money in Hong Kong with the financial industry, I think connected with the bank. He's now on a kind of perpetual holiday thing, which he's doing based on, I guess, what he made over his time being a banker. He's not, he must be in his, I don't know, mid to late 40s, maybe early 50s. But he listens to Stone Ape religiously and gives periodic feedback based on this recording. We now have people like Reese Jones, who's like a, I don't even know what you'd call it, like a futurist venture capitalist who's listening to the Stone Ape format. I mean, we have some pretty interesting, and a wide, I mean, it amazes me the number of model railroaders that listen to the Stone Ape thing. So when I listen to Stone Ape over time, I'm interested in finding topics that we haven't discussed, which in and of itself is actually really difficult. <laughs> How do you find something we've never discussed? Well, it's really difficult. And this is the interesting thing, because I'm always interested in kind of picking your brain associated with something relatively fresh. But we've discussed so many topics through this. There isn't really anything fresh anymore. I mean, current events are boring. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is fresh purely means it's a topic that you and I have not discussed previously that I think you might have some interesting insight that we can Ah. wrap upon for a period of time. I gotcha. Okay. And my sense is probably, yeah, we've... 
Yeah, it's fun if we can find those things. Mm. But uh, we've been doing this for a while now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to get a lot more difficult, I think, to find those. Well, it's interesting. We've covered all, like you say, we've got all the low hanging fruit already. (laughs) Exactly. No, typically when I, there's a period in my walk where I walk over the 17 freeway and I look down on cars that are just stuck in place with literally going back miles in all directions with angry people because it's a kind of apex where multiple, you know, multiple freeways meet. And through that, it's a bit like showering in the morning. I'd get some amazing insights showering in the morning. There's something about my brain at that point. There's something about my brain at the point of uh, that intersection of all that crap with me walking over the top of it, where I typically will have new insights. The alpha ducks, for example, come through that walking. But, you know, there are various other topics that have just come to me through that period. And my main responsibility is then to remember them accordingly. We have really tightened the format in the past year. And I think what's interesting to me is a kind of concept of Stone Ape as a thing independent of you or independent of me is that we have defined a format and we are now in the process of tightening that format. And I think the listener questions part may be something that can be easily discarded. But it is an interesting phenomena to actually study this thing independently. And I, uh, no, I agree. That, like I said, that's yeah. a fascinating. People that listen to this in a car, I periodically play Stone Ape for my spiritual advisor in our car. Because you get a completely different tonality. This is one of the reasons I'm moving to this new mic, is to try and improve some of the tonality in the recording. But I think this thing is a thing that I'm working on on a number of levels. I have to listen to it in order to understand, particularly because I do the editing like on when I can't sleep. It's something that I do very implicitly. I just edit it, write the notes, and then put it out. Um, but I have to go back and re-listen, particularly because there are shows where things really come together, and there are shows that are just really dysfunctional, and there are shows that dysfunctionally come together, like the last show, that I think actually are very interesting just as a entity in and of itself, like removed from... Because we have umpteen shows, and it's funny, actually, because sometimes I finish recording one of these things, and I just feel completely flat, like we've just recorded a bunch of shit, basically. <laughs> and that happens that happens frequently, like one in four, maybe even one in yeah. two recordings yeah. are like that. But then in the editing process of putting it out, it becomes something which is independent from this emotion. Yeah. And I certainly felt that about last week's, although you free in general, <laughs> some of that emotion. But I felt after the fact, I really felt, I felt at peace with it. I think, I can't remember what I, I said I was square. That was the only way I could describe yeah. it. Well, I was that yeah. way after, uh, just after the podcast. The initial you know, I mean, I had no problem at all. Yeah. I just, you know, was, I just dealt with what happened. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't get pissed off until I listened to it again. Well, actually, you were. Inst- I mean, Chris McIntosh instigated you, I think, to listen to it again. Well, yeah, well, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was just surprised at at, and- the, at the difference between what I thought my position was and what my position seemed to be being portrayed as. Yes. And I, I was trying to figure out just how, and and when then re-listening to it, like I say, I can see that I really wasn't very clear that I didn't articulate my policy clearly at all. But also, <laughs> you know? I instigated a lot of that too. I framed it and instigated it. No, I know. Like I said, I was ambushed. Heron <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sick, very. But good. I can handle that, you know. Yes. I mean, uh, like so, I say, I I wasn't even upset. Like I say afterwards, mm. I, I just sort of 
yeah, just uh, it was our conversation. That was that, and mm. I, you know, and then and then I saw that response on the stone ape thing, and I thought, well, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I was already. I mean, literally the next day, probably even the next morning, I had recorded it and put it out. I put it out relatively swiftly, and historically, I mean, in in really strong ones, and typically, I don't know. I mean, a couple of model rail radios, for example. In fact, more than a couple. A number of model rail radios where people independent of me have gotten into disputes, but even occasionally when I've been part of a dispute, I'll typically let that audio sit for a couple of weeks even mm-hmm. before I edit through it again. And usually in the edit through, it's just like, well, what was that all about? Let me just get this stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, letting it sit for a while you know, gives you a different perspective for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very much of the view, which you state repeatedly as well, that the whole notion that we are in any way the same over even, you know, a small period of time is very curious. It's a, well, it's a nice idea. <laughs> Which is it's countlessly disproven by, you know, actual experience. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, Heron, my mouth is dry. I think I've, I've talked all I can talk. And, um, Fair enough. Unless, unless you have a topic you want to throw out there, I think we should call this a night. No, I'm done. Very good. I will talk to you. Will I talk to you next week? Yes, I will. I should I talk s- to you next week. Well, the week we'll following see. might be more interesting because I have potentially contact or potentially a tonsillist spiritual advisor. Ah, you know, I should also mention that I'm going to be giving a public talk. I forgot all about that. The end of April out Mm -hmm. of Cal State Fullerton. Oh, what are you going to be talking on? Uh, The title is Beyond Adultery. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What date specifically? Uh, I don't know now. I think it's like April 23rd or something. What day Uh, is it specifically? I I don't remember now. It's, 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 you know, in the middle of the week at a... uh, one of the theaters on campus is from the communication department. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, what it is is a friend of mine who teaches there uh, has got a new book coming out, and he's conned the school into doing a, a like a TED-like thing. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, and, and basically, so really, what's an excuse is for him to come up and pitch his book and get it videotaped. But so, in order to do that, he's got to have a bunch of other people come in and talk to. So we we have a number. So he asked of, yeah. me to come in and talk, and and so I told, okay, I'll talk about beyond adultery. So we we have a number of listeners in the broader LA area, and I think they should come and. Represent. Oh yeah, anybody, yeah. I'll I'll let you know when I know. I mean, I actually have the details somewhere, but I just really didn't pay any attention. To so it, if so. we Google Heronstone Beyond Adultery, would it be in a? I have no kind? idea. I don't know if he's actually done anything yet. I sent him the information I, at the first of the week. It's still you know more than or about a month away. I think, yeah, more than a month away. Yeah. Do you have a little You're, handheld recorder? Are you going to record it as well? No, the whole thing's being videotaped. Oh wow! And will it be put online in a public forum? I have no idea. Mm. And and I'm not sure I'd want my... I, I will see how mine goes, you know. <laughs> if I like it, uh, yeah. If not, uh, no. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, that is an interesting development, Herod, but I, I still feel similarly hoarse and dry in the mouth. Yeah. So yeah. let's call it a well, night. Yeah, yeah. Good. Talk to you next week. Take okay, care. Okay, see ya. See ya.